Greetings in the name of the Triune God. Welcome to the Rural Midwestern Pastor Podcast. My name is David Johnson, and I am blessed to pastor the rural congregation known as Samanach Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us as we explore together how the scriptures declare the good news that God's kingdom has come to us in Jesus. If you'd like more information on our rural congregation, please visit samanachbaptistchurch.org. That's S-O-M-O-N-A-U-K, baptistchurch.org. Thank you for listening. May grace, peace, and everything good be yours in King Jesus. Good morning. Welcome to the online gathering for Samanach Baptist Church for Sunday, October 31st, 2021. My name is David Johnson. I'm glad to welcome you to this online gathering. We also meet in person each Sunday at 10 a.m. There's really nothing that can compare to being present with God's people together in the same space. So we would love to invite you to be part of our in-person gatherings each Sunday at 10 a.m. We're going to be called to worship here in a few moments by a reading from Psalm 126. Psalm 126, before we're called to worship, SBC family, just a couple of announcements. This Wednesday, November 3rd at 1 p.m., our midweek at midday Bible study begins here in the Fellowship Hall at SBC. We're going to be walking verse by verse through Paul's letter to the Galatians. So those of you that have time in the middle of the day, please come be a part of our midweek at midday Bible study this Wednesday at 1 p.m. Also Friday evening, November 12th at Samanach Baptist Church, the Proclamation Gospel Choir from Olivet Nazarene University is going to be with us. This is a gospel choir of 80 plus voices. They're gonna be here for a concert, six o'clock on Friday, November 12th. Please come and be a part of this community concert. The following Saturday, Saturday, November 13th at 8 a.m., we're going to be having our first men's breakfast. Join us men for a hearty breakfast and a conversation about how we can better connect as men in our church community and also better connect with men within our community. Those are our announcements. This online gathering is called to worship now by a reading from Psalm 126. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us and we rejoiced. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the water courses in the Negev. May those who sow in tears reap with shouts of joy. Those who go out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, carrying their sheaves. This is God's word. Let us pray. Almighty God, we confess that we are sowing tears and we long for shouts of joy. We have been among those who go out weeping and who've longed for the fruit that can be born from the seed of our tears. 
So we ask for your presence with us, and I ask for your presence with those who hear my voice, that you would be present to them in their tears, giving them hope that one day their tears will bear fruit of joy. Almighty and merciful God, it is only by your gift that your faithful people offer you true and laudable service. Grant that we may run without stumbling to obtain your heavenly promise through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever, and all of us said together, Amen. Our reading from the prophets comes from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 61, verses 1 through 4. Isaiah, chapter 61, verses 1 through 4. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. They will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord to display his glory. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities the devastations of many generations. This is God's word. The text that I want us to pay attention to together this morning is found in Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verse 4. Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. Between now and Advent, we're going to be unpacking as a church family the section of the Sermon on the Mount that we know as the Beatitudes. We spoke last week about a helpful translation from Frederick Dale Bruner about how Jesus creates with these words. And he helps us hear the reality underneath. I'd like to read his translation of the entire section of the Beatitudes. Blessings upon the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessings upon those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessings upon the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessings upon those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessings upon the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessings upon the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessings upon the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessings upon those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessings upon you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven.'" 
For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the gospel of King Jesus. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, you are the man of sorrows. You are acquainted with grief. Would you speak comfort to us as we mourn? The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God remains forever. So now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each heart be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock, you are our redeemer, and all of us said together, amen. Blessings upon those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Amen. What is it about beds in the middle of the night? On most Sunday afternoons, especially during the fall, I find myself on my bed under my weighted blanket, having just had a warm lunch, tired from the events of the day, and I enjoy taking a Sunday afternoon post-lunch nap under my weighted blanket in bed. When I wake up after that nap, I find myself rested. I find myself at peace. I find myself thankful. However, it's an entirely different experience that if I wake up on a Tuesday morning at 2.47 a.m., for reasons that I'm unaware of, I am so troubled when I wake up at 2.47 a.m. on a Tuesday morning. What's the difference? To wake up after a nap on Sunday afternoon versus waking up at 2.47 a.m. on a Tuesday morning, something is entirely different. When we wake up at night, it seems as though trouble beckons us. In a wonderful memoir called, called Learning to Walk in the Dark, Barbara Brown Taylor says this, by day, I can outfox the questions that keep me up at night, racing from one appointment to the next, answering emails with red exclamation points by them, taking the suddenly sick dog to the vet, rummaging through the freezer for something to thaw for supper. By day, I am a servant of the urgent. Nothing important has a chance with me. I am too consumed with things that must be done to consider whether or not doing them even matters. But in the middle of the night, I do not have so much to do. Once the lights are off and I am lying in my bed, the dark angel knows right where to find me. I am a captive audience. Nighttime in bed, things about which we need to mourn tend to rise to the surface. Nighttime in bed, things, issues, memories, persons that we need to mourn tend to rise to the surface. And beloved, the scriptures know this. The scriptures have much to say 
very unitedly about what often takes place even for the people of God when they struggle to sleep at night. In Job 7 verse 13, the scriptures say this, when I say my bed will comfort me, my couch will ease my complaint. So Job describes how he's enduring this difficult season of suffering and how he longs to just be able to rest in bed. Have you ever been there? You ever thought, I can't wait to get home and just crash in bed? And then what you end up meeting in that bed sounds like this. Then you scare me with dreams and terrify me with visions so that I would choose strangling in death rather than this body. I loathe my life. I would not live forever. Let me alone for my days are a breath. Job experiences something a little bit similar, probably not as extreme, that we experience about thinking, I can't wait to get to rest in my bed. Then when we get there, terror greets us, anxiety greets us, thoughts about our own mortality overwhelm us, visions, dreams, rob us of rest. Later on, Job 33, starting in verse 14, for God speaks in one way and in two, though people do not perceive it. So there's kind of in the poetry here, in the wisdom poetry, this sing, songy, lull the reader to sleep, and then bam, in a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falls on mortals while they slumber on their beds, then he opens their ears and terrifies them with warnings. The psalmist has much to say about trouble finding rest while in bed at night. Turn, O Lord, Psalm 6, verses 4 to 7. Turn, O Lord, save my life. Deliver me for the sake of your steadfast love, for in death there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who can give you praise? I am weary with moaning, the psalmist prays. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eyes waste away because of grief. They grow weak because of all my foes. Beloved, on the communion table behind me, you've probably noticed these are post-it notes. If you were at our in-person service, we all put post-it notes about things that we are anxious about, things that we are afraid of, things that, that we normally try to keep below the surface, but that keep rising to the surface. Beloved, it's these things that perhaps rise to the surface when we struggle to sleep. Beloved, how is sleep coming for you these days? What, what floods your mind when you try to sleep, but your sleep is disturbed? I want us to consider this morning, what is the path to restful joy? How do I move from, in the words of the psalmist, sowing in tears to shouting for joy? How do I, in the words of the psalmist, transition from mourning into dancing? How do I, in the words of many scripture writers, take off sackcloth to receive the clothing of joy? How do I trade ashes, in the words of Isaiah, for a garland to adorn my head? Where do I find the oil of gladness and the mantle of praise instead of mourning 
and a faint spirit. These questions interest me this morning as we look at the second beatitude in Matthew 5, verse 4. Blessings upon those who, what's the word? Blessings upon those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Much like we did last week, we must first consider the setting before the announcement of blessing. We must not forget that new creation's king is preaching. In chapter 4, he has bound the strong man. Then he has begun to preach that in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned in the middle of Matthew chapter 4. Then Jesus, new creation's king, calls together his disciples and crowds come with the disciples. And then Jesus brings the blessings of new creation into the present. Matthew 4 is a part of the setting of this second announcement, but also our reading from the prophets is another setting. In Isaiah chapter 60, there was this pronouncement of there is coming a day in the history of God's people when darkness is going to be thick. Isaiah chapter 60. And then at the end of Isaiah 60 and the beginning of Isaiah 61, a light one day is going to dawn and this king will bring comfort. This king will bring comfort, which is why it says, a text that Jesus preaches from in Luke's gospel in chapter four, the spirit of the Lord is upon me Isaiah and Jesus proclaim, because the Lord has anointed me. He has anointed the king to do what? He has sent him to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, and to comfort, the text says, all who mourn. That text is underneath this second beatitude. Blessings upon those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Jesus, in quoting this blessing, is saying, I am the one anointed by the Spirit to proclaim good news to the poor, to set the captives free, to proclaim jubilee, forgiveness of debt, to come and take care of injustice, and in so doing, comfort those who mourn. So that's the setting before this second announcement of blessing. Now let's secondly unpack the meaning of the second announcement of blessing. First, Jesus tells us the only way through the light is the only way to the light is through the darkness. The only way to the light is not by avoiding darkness, but heading through the darkness, through to the light that Jesus is. Again, Isaiah 60, verse 1, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will appear over you. While you are in the darkness, having in faith headed into it, the prophet Isaiah promises the exiled people of Judah that if you trust in the darkness, not trust in the darkness, but while in the darkness, you trust God, 
that at the darkest of possible moments, the light will dawn. Beloved, the only way to the light, according to the prophet Isaiah, which is the prophet underneath the second announcement of blessing, is through the darkness. So what does that mean? Again, Matthew 5, verse 4. Blessings upon those who... So he's going to promise comfort to a certain group of people. To whom does Jesus promise comfort in Matthew 5, verse 4? He promises comfort to those who mourn. Beloved, the only means of comfort is to mourn the difficulty, to mourn the darkness, to mourn the pain, to mourn the loss. We cannot arrive at the comfort we need unless we mourn. Beloved, how can SBC be a church of and for those who mourn? Again, this is the question that I want us to wrestle with as we unpack the Beatitudes. To not read them as individual statements to me about how I, and this is true, will find comfort from God in the process of mourning, but instead to understand in its original context that Jesus is speaking to the gathered people of God. That Jesus is giving them this collection of eight sayings, much like Moses gave Israel a collection of ten sayings. He's now summarizing in the words of Dallas Willard, a curriculum for Christ-likeness. Here's how you can become the people who live as free people, who live as a holy people, who live as a kingdom of priests. And let me first summarize. So the question that is first must be on our minds is, how can our church community be a church that is of mourning people who receive comfort and is for mourning people who receive comfort. There's three responses to that question that I want us to wrestle with first. We must believe it is good to go to the house of mourning. We must believe that mourning is a good thing. The teacher in Ecclesiastes tells us, in Ecclesiastes 7, starting in verse 2, it is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. The wisdom literature here says there are certain times when you shall not rejoice. Sometimes you must rejoice. Nehemiah tells the people, today won't be a day of grieving and fasting. Today will be a day of rejoicing. But the reverse is also true, that there are times when the wise will only grieve. This is why he says, it is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of everyone, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter. For by sadness of countenance, the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. Beloved, when it's a time to grieve, when it's a time to mourn, and we somehow think instead we should rejoice, Ecclesiastes calls us fools. Beloved, for SBC to be a church of and for those who mourn, we must believe it is good 
that it is good to go to the house of mourning. Beloved, when you are in a time of mourning, when those we love are in times of mourning, what they need is space, what they need is silence, and what they need is presence. Beloved, the mourning don't need answers, they need comfort. The mourning don't need questions, the mourning need silent presence. Beloved, during times of grief, during times of mourning, that which has been most comforting for me and others has not been people explaining it, has not been people answering my questions, but people in obedience to Paul's words to the Romans to grieve with those who grieve. Beloved, sometimes the most loving thing we can do is just be with people in their sorrow. Not providing answers, not trying to relieve their comfort, but to endure the difficulty often of being with someone in their grief. Beloved, oftentimes the most bad theology is articulated when what is called for is silence. Beloved, I hear things at funerals, memorial services, visitations. They're not only unhelpful, but also untrue. Things like, well, God took them, or it was their time, or God wanted another angel in heaven. Beloved, if that's the case, why didn't he just create one? Beloved, it's the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy, not God. Beloved, when we suffer loss, God is not taking those we love. God is present with us grieving. Beloved, for SBC to be a church of and for those who mourn, we must believe it is good to go to the house of mourning. Second, we must believe that mourning is godly. Beloved, we are Christians. That means many things, but most essentially, it means that we believe Christ is the Son of God. We believe that Christ is God of God, light of light, very God of very God. We believe that the fullness of deity dwelt in him bodily. We believe that he is the visible display of the invisible God. We believe that when God looks in the mirror, Jesus is who he sees. Beloved, if that is the case, we must understand that mourning, something Jesus was very good at, is a godly thing. When Jesus heard that his friend slash cousin, John, had been beheaded, he withdrew to a solitary place. When Jesus realized that his friend Lazarus was dead, he wept bitterly. The word that John uses in chapter 11 for the weeping that Jesus did at Lazarus' tomb is the word of like an animal snorting. He wept violently. When Jesus faced the structural injustice of Jerusalem, who killed prophet after prophet after prophet, he cried. When Jesus endured the horrors of crucifixion, he refused the numbing effect of wine. Beloved, if this Jesus is God of very God, if he is the visible display of the invisible God, if he is the image that God sees when God looks in the mirror, then we must know that mourning is godly. I read a very healthy article about grief this week by Baptist theologian Trevin Wax. From that article, he says this, 
Some churchgoers seem to think grief must be a sign of weakness, as if our Christian hope should keep us from shedding tears. But the stiff upper lip owes more to the ancient Stoics than the ancient Christians. We know grief is not wrong because Jesus shed tears at the grave of Lazarus. Jesus wept, knowing all the while he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead. He had hope in the future, but still cried. He knew the joy that was coming, yet he still wept. If you feel burdened by sorrow and grief about the loss of a loved one, and if you feel like beating yourself up because the tears haven't dried yet and the pain hasn't subsided, please, Free yourself from unbiblical, unrealistic expectations. You can cry to the glory of God. You should never feel guilty for doing something Jesus did. Beloved, for SBC to be a church of and for those who mourn, we must believe it is a good thing to go to the house of mourning. We must also believe that mourning is godly. So now that we believe those things, here's one of the things that we can do. We can be a people who obediently and to the glory of God record our complaints. Beloved, there's much wisdom. There's much blessing that can come to you and to me if we'll keep things like a gratitude journal. That's something that has wisely become more popular. I also think it's a wise and helpful and healthy thing for us to perhaps record a complaint journal. Beloved, I keep a little notepad like this in my office. I take this with me when I come in here to the sanctuary to have my morning prayers. One of the things that especially during seasons of grief that I will do is I will record my complaints to God. Psalm 55 gives us this same wisdom. When Psalm 55 verses 16 and 17 say this, but I call upon God and the Lord will save me evening and morning and at noon, at least three times a day, scheduled times a day, where the Jew in the time of Psalm 55 whose day began at evening, sunset is the beginning of the day in the Jewish keeping of time, the beginning of the day, and then also at morning, and then at noon, he would come to God to pray. And you know what? It wasn't terribly polite. What did he do? Evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and moan and he will hear my voice. One of the ways the psalmist believes the Lord saves him is by being a God who can hear even his impolite complaints. Beloved, again, the wise words of Barbara Brown Taylor. A bed, in short, is where you face your nearness to or farness from God. That's a beloved way to think about the beds that we try to find rest in. It's a time where it tends to rise to the surface. In this moment, how near do we seem to God or how far does God seem from us? Whether you are in pain or not, whether you are an anxious person or not, 
Even, I think, whether you are a religious person or not, a bed is where you come face to face with what really matters. Because it is too dark for most of your usual shallowing distractions to work. You can turn on the lights if you want, but they are artificial. The most they can do is postpone your encounter with what really matters. They cannot save you from that reckoning forever. Beloved, when you and I, and I would encourage you to perhaps keep a notepad by your bed, so that when thoughts, anxieties, concerns rise to the surface, much like we named them last week, I think naming them in the anxious moments on Tuesday morning at 2.47 a.m., we write those down, we express them to God, even complain to him, beloved, because the way to comfort is not by suppressing the pain, avoiding the pain, numbing the pain, finding distractions from the pain. The way to comfort is called the path of mourning. Beloved, I have here my shield. See my shield? Beloved, oftentimes, many of us, and especially now is the case, many of us are dealing with very, very significant grief or maybe just kind of a low-grade constant grief. And we've believed the lie that somehow spiritual strength and maturity involves suppressing that grief. And ever since we were young children, caregivers have always tried to relieve our suffering, to get us from stop crying. Beloved, sometimes what is best for our souls is to have a good cry to not be people who hide behind shields, who hide behind pain, who hide behind discomfort, but instead put the shields away and head toward the darkness to find the light on the other side or to head toward the grief to find the comfort that King Jesus offers us there. Beloved, to shout for joy we must sow in tears. To finally put on the clothes of joy, we must first put on the sackcloth of grief. To wear the garland, we must first adorn the ashes. To be anointed with the oil of gladness, we must first mourn and feel the faintness of our spirit in order to dance. We must mourn. Amen. Let us pray. Jesus said, Let anyone with ears to hear listen. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. Do this and you will live. Lord Jesus, you have the words of eternal life. A reading from John 16, verses 20 and 22. Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn, but the world will rejoice. You will have pain, 
but your pain will turn into joy. When a woman is in labor, she has pain because her hour has come. But when her child is born, she no longer remembers the anguish because of her joy of having brought a human being into the world. So you have pain now, but I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. Rejoice in the Lord always, not because there aren't reasons to mourn, but rejoice in the Lord always because the Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Comforting God, we bring our prayers to you as acts of love for you and for our neighbors. In your mercy, Lord, hear our prayer. You promise that pain will turn into joy. We pray for ourselves and those dear to us. Comforting God, we remember before you those who grieve we remember before you those who mourn. We name before you ourselves and those we love who are in need of comfort. You bless those who mourn they will be comforted. You guide your people to springs of the water of life. We pray for the church in all places. We pray for Samanach Baptist Church, that we may be a people of and for those who mourn. You bless those who mourn. They will be comforted. Comforting God, we offer to you our grief, our mourning, our pain. You bless those who mourn, they will be comforted. God, whose justice shines like the sun, you bless all who seek first your kingdom and righteousness. Fill our hearts with the spirit of the Beatitudes that we may live this day in simplicity, mercy, and joy. Through Jesus, who taught us to do so, we pray for the coming of your reign. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory 
forever and ever. Amen. Thank you for joining me for this online gathering. I now invite you to receive our closing benediction. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ Jesus, will himself restore, support, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. And all of us said together, amen.